This is for the free thinkers, the curious beings that swim upstream, who see possibilities, not problems, that learn from the past, live by the present, and create the future. This is the I Love Ugly Audio Show. Welcome to the I Love Ugly Audio Show. My name is Valentin Nozic, creative director and founder of I Love Ugly. On this episode, I sit down with motivational speaker and personal development specialist, Dr. Paul Wood. Dr. Paul Wood's story is one of the most interesting I've come across in a while. At just 18 years old, Paul went to prison and his life was off the rails. By his release in 2006, he had attained an undergraduate degree in psychology and philosophy, a master's degree in psychology, and was two years into his PhD. Paul uses his journey to illustrate the process of change and how we can have lives of great meaning and purpose despite the circumstances and despite the environment. He's now an expert in helping people overcome their own barriers and become the best version of themselves. And he has just released his book, which I highly recommend, titled How to Escape from Prison. In this episode, Paul gives us advice on managing unpleasant emotional thoughts, the power of creating habits, and how it's never too late to redirect yourself and life. Like all my guests, I like to go deep and extract as much value as I can. And in this episode, it's no different. There's some real golden nuggets in here. And I also ask him some questions that would make some of you uneasy. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Paul, thank you for being here. Such a yeah. pleasure. So you just did a, you did a talk, what, in front of 100 people, was it just before? Or? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how many, probably yeah. around that. Yeah. I actually find it's easier to do talks in front of lots of people oh, yeah? than a smaller number. Because if you do a talk in front of a small number, you can see the whites of their eyes. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Whereas larger crowd, you yeah. can sort of you know, have a bit more distance yeah, yeah. from that. Interesting. So you've kind of, so you've carved, carved yourself out a speaking career. Mm. Um, how, so what, what is it that you kind of do? Just to, I, I know I know, but for people that don't know, what do you do? Give us a little two-minute version of who you are and cool yeah okay well my background's in an area of psychology that looks at how people differ from each other in terms of their attributes their values their tendencies and what I basically do is I basically try to create the space for and communicate some key ideas that help people figure out what does a better version of me look like yeah what it's realistic expectations of myself how can I be more self-accepting when it comes to the human yeah. struggle so I spend more time doing what matters and what's true and authentic for me mm. rather than worrying about worrying mm. and thinking I'm supposed to be happy all the time or any yeah. of those sorts of things yeah Interesting. So, just to, I know we, you know, we've already discussed. We're not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But you did do a stint in prison. Yeah, and that's where absolutely. you did your. So you did your masters in psychology, was it? My undergraduate, my undergraduate. master's degree, started yeah. doctor. So I, you, I went in a high school dropout. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I thought I was someone who was dumb. Yeah. You know, or at least in terms of education, I never connected with it. But fortunately, I had an opportunity to yeah. uh, take some steps to educate myself to turn my life around, and I yeah. realised I wasn't dumb. Yeah. I was just mentally unfit. I yeah. never really exercised my mind, and it yeah. was like my body. If I regularly exercised it and used it, it'd get stronger and yeah. easier to work with. Amazing. Right? And put that simply, it makes so much sense, yet a lot of people don't really understand it or don't even realize that. But my question was, you did the stint in prison, yet you you went, you did, a, you pursued this, uh, you know, self-education and just to educate yourself on psychology and stuff. 
how the hell did you motivate yourself in that environment? Because you often hear about people blaming their environment and not being able to do things. You were in prison and you did that. Mm. How did you do that? How did you motivate yourself Small in a place steps, like this? Man. Small steps, And I think this is key. I think often actually what we do is we over-rely on motivation instead yep. of creating habits. Yep. You're way better off creating habits than worrying about motivation. Yeah. If you can start taking small steps frequently that lead you in the right direction, before you know it, it takes less and less motivation for mm. you to demonstrate that behavior, to live in yeah. that way. I mean, exercise is a classic example, yeah. right? So what most people do with exercise is they go out all guns blazing, mm -hmm. right? New year, I've yeah. got gym membership, I'll go to the gym every day. Yeah. How long does that last? Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks at most, right? They reckon that if everyone had a gym membership showed up at the gym, it'd never survive, eh? <laughs> yeah. But the reality is, is you're way better off focusing on starting really small and just building mm. incrementally over time. For example, it takes on average three months to build a new habit. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to get in the habit of going to the gym, for the first three months, it is legit to go to the gym and read a book. Because mm. you're getting in the habit of going to the gym. Interesting. Once you've gotten the habit of going to the gym, then you can worry about the intensity of the exercise and the rest of it. Mm. For the first three months, you're just building a habit. One of the secrets to me in terms of my success, in terms of being able to get in that habit and be disciplined in that way, was that I started really small. Like I just started, I enrolled in, you know, what would have been maybe one sixth of a normal workload. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't starting to even study to do a degree. I didn't think I was capable of that. But it was just enough for me to occupy my time and to get in the habit of study so that I could continue to build the volume of what I was doing. Mm. And that's the way you do it. I mean, this is one of the key messages I always talk to people about is that your brain has far greater similarity with the rest of your physical body mm. than you're aware of because your brain's hidden in your skull. You know, it seems less tangible. Mm. But the reality is, is you want to think of it like the rest of your physicality. You want to mm. think of it like your muscles. Mm. The muscles you exercise get stronger, get easier to use. Mm. It's natural to get fatigued, get worn out. You have to look after yourself. There's all mm. sorts of things you need to be doing to be at peak performance, right? Mm. It's the same mentally as it is physically. Mm. Absolutely. So why don't people, why, why aren't we educated about this stuff at school? Because the way you're putting it makes so much sense. It can actually resolve so many problems, yet why aren't we, why aren't we taught about it? I think it goes back to the idea that really our emotional experiences haven't been something that have had a lot of value placed on them historically. Mm. You know, particularly... Is it uh, because we can't see it? I think so. I think it's mm. less tangible, therefore it's less certain. Also as well, if you want to look at the history of science, there was this whole movement towards empiricalism, which is about only being able to study the tangible and observable and measurable. Mm. Whereas the stuff in here, I mean, in psychology, for example, for a long time, you had the behavioralist movement, which basically said what goes on between your ears is the black box we're not interested. Hmm. We're only interested in observable behavior. Yeah. So it's hardly surprising that education has more tended to focus on tangible skills and things that can be done mm. rather than the inner game, really. But the mm. inner game is where it's at, right? Absolutely, yeah. In terms of the human experience, mm. that's the stuff you want to be working on. Definitely. And you see, you know, you see the people that are you know, the top performers like the Conor McGregor's and the Israels and you know, the, do, the, you know, the All Blacks even. And uh, you know, they're performing up here, skill-wise, physicality, probably muscle, everything, but probably on par with everybody else. Maybe they're a little bit better, but bit better. But it's the stuff that 
they practice in private is what they get rewarded for in public, right? So it's the stuff 100%. that kind of goes on in between, as you said, the black space. Mm. And, um, and that's also something people don't realize, realize as well, which I find almost astonishing. And I know personally that's what got me through some bad experiences. I know that's what you got you through a lot of that adversity and kind of helped you create you know, the man in which you are today. Um, what, would be, what would be if somebody because, you know, obviously we've got a lot of young listeners. We've got yeah. people that are just beginning on this journey of, say, personal development. We've got people that are, you know, they, they might be, you know, at, at, at another level where business is going good. Spiritually, it's good. Their relationships are good. What advice would you give someone that's just starting on this journey and just can't figure shit out? Mm. They're like, fuck, I feel lost. I feel depressed. I feel I don't know what to do. What would you, what advice would you give it to that person? The first thing I would say is all of those experiences are completely normal. Yeah. The struggle is real. Mm. I mean, you use those examples of people who are sorted in all of these areas, and I'm skeptical, I've got to tell you, mm. because I think when we look at others, we often judge them based on these external factors that we assume are indicative of some deeper happiness and the rest of it. Whereas the mm. reality is the brain you carry around in your skull is one which is oriented towards identifying threats and feeling unpleasant emotions because that's the way it's evolved. Is that, is that to protect us as well? 100%, think yeah. about this, right? Out of your potential ancestors, mm -hmm. the ones who survived to reproduce and contribute to the gene pool were not the ones who tended to assume the best mm. whenever they were uncertain. It wasn't the ones who heard the rustling in the bush and went, oh, that'll be something exciting, mm. I'll put my head in there. Yeah. It was the ones who heard the rustling in the bush and went, I'm gonna be scared right now and assume the worst because that'll help me be more careful. Mm. It was the ones who, when they saw the rain clouds on the horizon, went, I'm gonna be worried about that and find shelter. Mm. It was the ones who, when they noticed their food supplies were dwindling, went, I'm gonna be worried about that, find more food. It was not the ones that heard their baby crying and went, she'll be right, mm. who raised viable offspring to contribute to the gene pool. You have a disproportionate number of brain cells of neurons devoted to threat detection and unpleasant emotion. Mm. And a, an evolutionary psychologist would tell you you have a stone age brain in the modern world. Mm -hmm. Your brain is still adapted for that period where you were a nomadic tribes person. That's what wow. your brain's geared for. And think about this from your own experience, right? So I know you, you've started your own business before. Have you ever worked for someone before? You ever yes, been employed for a period. Yep. Yeah, okay. I, I was, since I was 14, I had jobs. Right, so this yeah. is a common experience for people who've been employed. You ever had any kind of like performance review or conversation around how you were going, yeah. where the vast majority of things mentioned were really positive, but mm. there were one or two things you could be doing differently or mm -hmm. better? Yep. What did you walk away remembering and focused on? The bad things. Of course, yeah. right, because that stuff's stickier for your brain. Mm. The way your brain has evolved is that you're wired for lots of misery and suffering, regardless mm. of your external factors, yeah. external success factors. It doesn't matter how much money you have, yeah. how good your job, how attractive and charming your wife or yeah. partner, it doesn't matter, none of that stuff matters. You're carrying around in the skull mm. this thing which is geared towards finding things that are wrong and worrying about them. One of my favorite mm. Mark Twain quotes mm -hmm. is, I'm an old man who's experienced many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I think recognizing that the struggle is normal yeah. and is real and just being more self-accepting around your emotions. Mm. I think some of the messages young people are sold today are so unhelpful, yeah. such as you should always feel happy and in mm. control. Yeah. Not with your brain you want, <laughs> not in this world you want. Yeah. So if you walk around thinking you're supposed to feel happy all the time, you're not supposed to feel unpleasant emotions, then what happens is when you feel those, is you think they're a threat to you. You try mm. and avoid them. You try mm. and get away from them. Totally. Right? And you, you mask them with drugs or alcohol. hundred yeah. percent. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, that which you resist persists. Yeah. That comes from a psychologist, Jung, 
And the stuff that you don't face in your life, you know, the things that make you feel those unpleasant emotions, those unpleasant emotions are signals your yeah. brain is sending you about the choices you're making, yeah. about how your life's going. And if you ignore those, if you resist those, those are going to persist. Interesting. You have to face that stuff. Yeah. You also have to accept that stuff. Interesting. That as a member of the species, you're going to have lots of unpleasant emotions. Yeah. They're not a threat to be avoided. They're a challenge to be embraced. Yeah. They're a sign that you're actually trying to do something yeah. meaningful with your life and that you're a member of the species. Yeah. And if you can just be more self-accepting around them, make space for them, recognize them as a challenge to be managed, not a threat to be avoided, you'll have a far more meaningful life. Interesting. And um, wow, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to, to digest, but I think um, it makes perfect sense as well. So, so it's almost what you're saying is as you progress and as you start, more problems are going to arise and you're better to be comfortable with being uncomfortable 100%. rather than shining away from it and thinking that you're uh, this is this is abnormal this shouldn't be happening to me because i'm supposed to be progressing exactly that's, right. a, that's a that's a dumb dumb simplified version of what you're saying essentially no, no that is exactly it being comfortable with discomfort yeah. that is the goal not to not have discomfort yeah not to have unpleasant emotions but to be less sucked into them, less mm. consumed by them. Yeah. So if, if, if it's, because would you also agree that you could, uh, for some people, they just can be consumed with negative emotions and bad. And is there ways where you can settle it down, say through exercise, breathing, um, personal development, just feeding your mind with actual proper nutrients as opposed to just binging on Netflix or other bullcrap Instagram or things like that, which are just constantly giving you little dopamine hits and you come out of it and you look at your own life and you're like, fuck, my life sucks compared to this person on Instagram. So is there other... <laughs> at least compared to what you see of that person on Instagram, eh? Yes. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, they just, yeah, they just give you the peep under the hood of the stuff mm. that you want to see and they want to show you rather than actual the truth. So you're saying that, um, is there, what are some remedies though for people that are, you know, say, say for example, someone's depressed, they want to kill themselves, like it's, you know, shit serious, they don't know what to do or who to tell or how to go about the next steps. What advice would you give to that person? To that person, they need to be looking for external support. By yep. the time you get to that stage. And how, how do they ask for that if they got to the point now where they just emotionally very unintelligent. Well, I think that's the struggle, right? Is actually recognizing that you're at a point here where you are psychologically and emotionally injured. Yeah. And the only way to remedy that effectively is by getting external support. Yeah. Again, it's about thinking about this stuff as comparable to the rest of your physical body. If I break my leg, mm. you know, I'm, de I'm, I'm debilitated there. Yeah. I can't move properly. I'm in a lot of pain. What's the solution? The solution is to go to a doctor, right? Mm. It's the same with the stuff between your ears. If you reach that point where you are having depressive uh, experiences to that extent where you're thinking about suicide, the only path is to seek help and support. Mm -hmm. The key thing I would say to you, V, is actually to get better at identifying when you're on that path towards mm. that level of injury. So the early warning signs. And preempting it. Yes. Yeah. You know, preempting it. This is one yeah. of the problems, right? So when I talk about this stuff, I do a lot of time doing workshops around how can you build your capacity to cope with the stress and pressure as you experience it, which yes. in psychology is called mental toughness or yep. grit, and then bounce back and recover afterwards, which mm -hmm. is called resilience. Mm -hmm. But I always position it as mental fitness mm -hmm. because I'm trying to parallel on those similarities with physical fitness. Mm. For example, right? 
Have you ever done any events before you ever gotten really physically fit and done any endurance events? I used to, I wanted to be a pro soccer player. Right, okay, so when you were at your peak of fitness, Mm -hmm. did that mean that you didn't ever feel tired or fatigued? I felt, yeah, I still felt tired and fatigued, absolutely. Of course you did, right? Having a high level of fitness means that you can push further and persevere through the suffering and the misery for longer Mm. before you're completely exhausted and then you bounce back quicker. That's what physical fitness is. The same psychologically and emotionally, right? Mm. If you're mentally tough and resilient, it does not mean you don't feel the struggle. Mm. It just means you can cope with it more effectively for longer and Mm. recover from it quicker. But if you're someone who isn't good at recognizing the signs that you're getting fatigued or who thinks I'm not supposed to feel any of these emotions, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to be very good at easing up the pace, eh? Mm. So that you can recover as you go and you will end up exhausted. And emotionally and psychologically, that's where you start getting into that problematic territory. Interesting. So how do you, how does someone get mentally fit then? Uh, recognizing that it's like physical fitness is something you need to yep. be proactive so firstly, and deliberate about. Yep. So being very distinctive, okay, this is something I need to take care of, like a body part or... 100%. Yeah, okay. And yep. think about that, right? Like you can have a normal level of physical fitness yep. without doing exercise, just based on your day-to-day activity. You know, yep. you get out of bed, you go in the bus, you pick something up, give you a base level mm-hmm. of physicality. And it's the same with mental toughness and resilience. You know, life's general sort of knocks and challenges will give you a certain amount. But if you want to be anywhere near your potential, either physically or mentally and emotionally, you need to be structured and deliberate about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's some basic stuff, like the foundations you always talk about, sleep, diet, and exercise, yeah. right? Yeah. If you're not getting the sleep you need, and the average number of hours is seven to nine, 68% of people need between seven and nine hours mm-hmm. sleep a night. If you're not getting that on a regular basis, you know, you're starting pre-fatigued. Yeah. You've reduced your capacity to cope and be effective in the first place. Mm-hmm. Nutrition, you know, that's just about the quality of food you're putting in your body. Uh, my wife's nutritionist by training, and what she told me is that there's all sorts of things you can focus on, but the simple rule of thumb is this. The more processed something is, the worse it'll be for you. Mm-hmm. The more steps removed from its natural state it is, yep. the worse it'll be for you. So once again, very simple. Right. If it's in the packet, yeah. But what are some of the things we do, right, when we're focused on our diet and nutrition is we engage in things like calorie restriction. We yeah. make ourselves hungry. That's not sustainable. Another yeah. great thing my wife told me about this is that actually what you want to do is you don't want to make yourself hungry. You just want to change the proportion of your food, which mm. is better quality. Mm. So eat the same, eat more even, but mm. just less processed mm. stuff. Definitely. And then there's the whole exercise bit, right? Now, some people have a mental barrier when it comes to exercise. They hear exercise and they think it's not pleasant yeah, and they don't like it. Yeah. But again, that goes back to that idea that you're supposed to like stuff. Yeah. And it's supposed to be pleasant all the time, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. It really isn't. Yeah. Most of the best stuff for you is stuff that involves some challenge. Yes. Sweat. Hey, Increase heart rate, bit of pain. And yeah. that's how you get a sense of satisfaction achievement. You know, the original Greek word that happiness is a derivative of didn't relate to this transitory emotional experience of feeling pleasant all the time. It related to the joy and satisfaction you get as you strive towards your potential. Mm, and that is not about feeling pleasant and comfortable all the time. Yeah. That is about embracing challenges that have a bit of hardness yeah. associated with them and yeah. overcoming those. And exercise is like that. Think about this. Exercise is a modern invention. Mm. When you were a member of a nomadic tribe for which your brain and your body has evolved, there was no need for this thing called exercise. Because they're doing it anyway. Right, because yep. your day-to-day life required yep. so much movement. That's Absolutely. the normal, natural thing for us. Yeah. So if you're someone listening who has a barrier when you hear the word exercise, just think about it as making sure you're getting enough movement in your body. You're moving mm. enough. Mm. And I'll tell you what, it's crucial when you exercise 
flushes cortisol out of your system. That's yeah. the stress-related hormone associated with negative health outcomes. Increases energy levels during the day. Helps you sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Releases endorphins where you feel better about yourself and yeah. others. And check this out. Prompts neural regeneration. Which means what? Which means it makes you smarter. Interesting. Now, I know some of your yeah. listeners are going to be sitting there thinking, I know people who exercise heaps who are dumbass. <laughs> Without exercise, they'd be even dumber. (laughs) It literally makes you smarter. It's one of the best things you can be doing for yourself. But again, the problem is, is what we do is we get into these spirals of poor diet, poor sleep, lack of motivation for exercise, but it's the small steps that make big Mm. differences. As what you said at the beginning of the conversation, small habits, get the momentum, start falling in love with the process. When you face adversity, just tell yourself, ah, okay, it means I'm making pro- progress. Yeah, don't eat stuff out of the packet. Mm. It's actually all quite simple, really. Yeah. 100%. And it goes to this idea that I, that I just talk about all the time, and just the idea that the goal here is getting better, not being good. Yeah. Right? It's getting better. Because mm. this is a problem, right? You inhabit a society where the majority of the time you get these messages that you're supposed to be good at whatever you're doing. Yeah. On that basis, when you fail, you think, oh, I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, if you think that your goal is getting better, then when you fail, you realize that's an opportunity to learn and grow and come back stronger. Mm. Right? That risking failure is part of how you get better. Yeah. But also, it completely shifts your comparison and your measure of progress. If you think your goal is to be good at stuff, then you compare yourself to other people. Oh, am I as good and successful as V? Mm. You know, I started a business. I didn't make as much money as you that quickly mm. in terms of your original business. Oh, oh my God, I'm not good enough. Yeah. But actually, you're not a measure for me. You're not yeah. a legit comparison because you don't have my life story. You don't have my advantages, mm. my disadvantages, the ingredients that make me who I am. Mm. So my only legitimate measure of progress and success as a human being is who was I yesterday and who am I going to be tomorrow? Yeah. And as long as there is small incremental improvement, then I am getting better. Mm. And that's what it means to be on the path as a human being. Mm. It means small incremental progress. It means getting better, not being good. Mm. Most important things in my life, husband and father, regularly fail. I daily fail to be who I'd want to be in those, yep. in those roles. Yep. But that's all good because my goal is not to be a good husband and a good father. It is to be a better husband and a better father. So yeah, those failures, how I learn and grow, and as long as tomorrow's version of me is that little bit better than today's, mm. man, I'm on the path. Mm. That's what it means. That's mm. what human growth is about. Mm. Absolutely. And do you feel that that's where goals are so important and so imperative as well? Because mm. it's actually, it's almost like you're playing a game of, of, of rugby and without any goalposts or a scoreboard, you don't know what the hell's going on. Mm. This is mumble jumble. Would you say goals as well is almost something as well to chuck into the mix? You know, it's really interesting, actually, a lot of the re- latest research that's coming around out in this area. I used to be so big on the psychology of goals yeah. and it's been really important to me. Yeah. But there's a lot that's coming out that's actually suggesting developing habits mm. which will generalize to make you successful with any goal yeah. or in any context are more important than goals themselves. Yeah. So say, for example, getting in the habit of looking after yourself. Mm. That will enable you to be fe- effective in any environment you find yourself yep. in relative to just focusing on some external thing that you can achieve, tick off your list of things to do and you think will give you some sense of real meaning and happiness. Yeah. Because it won't. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people you know who are elite athletes who end up in the Olympics and stuff like this, you know, they're more prone to depression and anxiety-related wow. issues than normal people. Often that drives yeah. the need for achievement, but also it results in what's called goal then whole. 
medal. And this huh. is where you get the Olympics. Maybe you win a, a medal, maybe you win a gold medal, and then you yeah. come out the other end of it going, Depressed. I've still got this hole in me. Interesting. It hasn't filled the hole. Interesting. You are way better off cultivating helpful habits yeah. that in any situation will serve you well. And in terms of goals, the most useful goals that you can cultivate if you want to have a life of greater meaning and satisfaction and well-being is the goal of living your values on a daily basis. Interesting. So with that and a set of values, how does someone go, go about actually writing down their values or figuring out what the hell a value is? Right, and there's different ways to explore this. And in fact, that's one of the key ideas is actually, look, you can do heaps, right? Mm -hmm. You can actually get like a, a basic values quiz, list the common ones, list that you can think about. You know, if I was diagnosed with a terminal illness and I was going to die in five years, what yep. would I most want to spend my time on? And what does that tell me about what I place value on, what's important to me? There's all sorts of stuff you can do there. But actually, just going out and trying stuff in life, mm -hmm. just exposing yourself to different situations, different people, and then figuring out, what do I find really satisfying? Interesting. What is it that actually gives me a real sense of satisfaction and meaning in what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And remember, satisfaction isn't the same thing as happiness, mm -hmm. eh? Yeah. Doesn't necessarily feel easy or yeah. comfortable, yeah. but it's satisfying and that's a deeper Probably thing. Probably fulfills that whole, fills that whole. Right. Yes. And that's the thing, when it comes to figuring out your path as a human being, what's true and what's authentic for you, no one else can tell you that. You can't just Google it and get yeah. the answer. It's what's called an adaptive challenge. Yes. An adaptive challenge is something where the only way to progress effectively is to be brave enough to explore, to get out of your comfort zone, to take mm. risks, to fail and learn. Mm. That is the only way to figure it out. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, that is, uh, that's very fascinating. And I always feel that once you start almost, because there's also a lot of business owners as well that follow this, also once you start applying a set of values and principles, guiding principles to the business, it almost helps you as well in order to make correct decisions. It's like, okay, you know, there might be a situation, it's like, okay, I'll go to our set of values to figure out how to handle this. And you can have that throughout the whole organization so people almost, you know, beneath the top can start making decisions without you know, asking the leader what to do. So it's not only effective in personal life, but also businesses, sports teams, because I understand you do a lot of work with sports teams and yeah, or, or you've done I've, a little I've, bit of work, yeah, should I say? Yeah, yeah. I've done a bit not, of work with some of the so rugby franchises you, and that. Yeah. But look, you know, and most of my time is actually spent in workplaces and yeah. organizations running leadership and other types of programs around that mental mm -hmm. fitness. But the reality is, is you know, like you, you can look at elite athletes, you can look at elite performers in the workplace, you can look at people who are really elite in other areas that are relevant in their lives. You can look at people who are normal. The reality is, is the gift of the human experience is the same. It's just the wrapping that's different in mm. respect to those different industries and different contexts. Yeah. That's why I so admire the work of people like JK and Mike King mm -hmm. and others who have reached really high levels in their respective careers, but then have actually been courageous enough and willing to contribute enough mm -hmm. to actually say, hey, even when I was there, the struggle was real for me too. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what you place value on, what you focus on, the struggle is real for everyone. It just looks differently for different people, totally. eh? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, I work in those different areas, but the similarity holds, eh? Mm -hmm. And that's been more self-accepting, more realistic around what the journey of progress and growth looks like, which is getting better, not being good, mm. not comparing yourself to others. One of the most interesting things I've uh, heard recently as well in that in terms of sports is 
course, I'm naturally a very competitive person and yep. like sports myself. And my wife is a, a, a very uh, successful cross-country mountain biker. Mm -hmm. It's become her focus over the last sort of bit over a year. And she's really put in the effort and really got the rewards in terms of how she's performing there. And one of the things that was discussed as part of her exercise and sport master's degree she's doing was the value of focusing on yourself rather than trying to beat people as an elite performer. Mm -hmm. And that's a really different lens for most people yeah. because most people who are in sport are like, okay, well, we need to defeat this other team. You know, mm -hmm. we need to do better than them. Whereas actually, if you're just focused on that individual mastery, am I going out and being better each time? Am I doing my best when I perform? Mm. You'll be far more effective mm. and you have far higher levels of well-being regardless of the outcome. Mm. And so do you think the champions, the people that are just at the top, the number ones, they just want to become a better, far better version of themselves than the guy next to them? Yeah, 100% yeah. right. And it, it's, it's about the willingness to sacrifice. And that's yeah. one of the things. If you want to be really elite in any area, how much are you prepared to sacrifice yes. those other areas of your life? Yeah. And there'll be different stages in your life where you know you answer that question differently. Like I've got a wife I love, I've got young kids who are the most important thing in your my kids? life, two and five. Oh, wow. yep. So I'm not prepared to sacrifice my time with them yes. to build an empire with my business or yeah. anything. I love what I'm doing and having the ability to engage with people like yourself yeah. to scale up and hopefully have a positive impact on a, a larger number of people than I would have if I'm just talking yes. you know, yeah. at events like this. But the reality is, is I want to make decisions which are in line with what most matters to me and that mm -hmm. means getting better at what I do but placing value on the right things and recognizing what those are. So once again, values. So if you're one of your main values, say if say if like you know becoming a great father uh -huh. isn't a, isn't on your list of list list of values, you probably will get that edge on the person beneath you who that is a value because you are you're okay and you feel content with spending less time with them mm -hmm. to give yourself a bit of a bit more of an edge. Would you say that until quite, it's the end of your days? Yes, right. Until you look back and go. You're full of regret or... Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the most common deathbed regrets is, I wish I hadn't worked so much. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are you pursuing? And now make no mistake, there are different points in your life. Like often when you're younger and you don't perhaps have kids, that sort yeah. of stuff, all good. Guns Sacrifice blazing. time, yeah. guns blazing. But when you reach a period where, you know, you're at a different stage in mm. life, then you really want to think carefully around what's going to matter to you most at the end of your days. Absolutely. But here's a really interesting question as well to reflect on. This is a good one for your listeners, because when it comes to your values versus how you behave. Mm -hmm. So when you're a child, what you're doing primarily mm -hmm. is you're paying attention to try and figure out, how can I be worthy? How do I need to navigate the terrain that is my relationships, that is this world, so that I can be seen and valued, so that I can be worthy? Yeah. And where that comes from is we're members of a tribal species. Mm -hmm. So originally, if you were a member of a tribe, you better be seen and valued by others. You mm. better be seen as a contributor. Otherwise, you're not adding value or to the tribe, right? Yeah. So we have this deep-seated need for that that has really good evolutionary origins. But what we do as kids is we look and we interpret the signals we're receiving from those who are most important to us mm -hmm. at that stage. And if you were lucky enough to grow up in a two-parent household, the chances are is there probably would have been one parent who you had to work that much harder to get the love and approval from. Mm -hmm. And often they will be the biggest influence on who we think we need to be mm. as we progress and as we grow. Interesting. So a really interesting question to ask yourself is, who is it I thought I needed to be 
to get the love and approval of that harder to reach parent. Mm. And it's not a judgment on that parent, because often as a kid, you're interpreting a message which isn't necessarily the message being sent, mm. right? Mm. So say for example, my father's a really quiet guy. He's a, you know, definitely what you consider to be an introverted man. And so he'd come back from work and he's had his people quota for the day. Yeah. He's home, he just needs some time out, yeah. some me time. Yeah. He'd be behind the newspaper. Uh, reading newspaper, that's what you used to do before phones and yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff. And I interpreted some of that as don't disturb me, sort things out yourself, yeah. stand on your own two feet. Mm -hmm. That's not the message he was actually trying to communicate, mm. but that's how I interpreted it as a kid. Yep. And on that basis, you know, I didn't grow up thinking I should ever need someone's help, anyone's support. Yeah. And it wasn't just my dad, that's a societal message for men as well a lot yep. of the time. Of course. Whereas, of course, as an adult, what you want to do is you want to think about who is it I thought I needed to be to get that parents' love and approval? And is that really true and authentic for me? Mm. For example, do I still think that I shouldn't need anyone's help or support? Absolutely not. Mm. As members of a tribal species, real success, that is a team effort. Yeah. The only reason I'm sitting here today is because of massive amounts of support and opportunities I had from others. But I needed to be brave enough to risk rejection by asking for help and opportunities, mm. right? Mm. If I was just busy sitting here going, oh no, I'm, I, I shouldn't need anyone's help, and yeah. any opportunities from others, do it all myself, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am right now. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a very great question to ask. And as I said, I went to Tony Robbins a few years ago, and that was one of the exercises which he did. It's like, who did you seek approval from, your mother right. or your father? In my case, it was my father, immigrant from Croatia, hard-nosed worker, six children, parents together. Man. He's worked a hard day in the field, comes home, and he wants to decompress. Last thing he wants to do is answer questions from his son about life. Mm. And, um, and I interpreted that as well, almost like rejected or fathers are there to basically be your father, not your friend. I had that distinction when I, I've got three children. Um, when, I had, when I had my daughter, that's how I started to kind of play it out. And I realized that because of that, our relationship was becoming distant. And then I realized that that was because of the interpretation I had with my own father. Mm -hmm. But now I've changed the meaning to be my meaning and, and congruent with my set of values, which is, nah, my daughter, she, yes, I am her father, so there's obviously boundaries, but I want basically her to download every, every bit of information, every bit of experience which I've acquired in my journey of life. And I think that's a great exercise for a lot of people as well, just to ask themselves, who did I seek approval from? Yeah. If, it, if, it's, you know, if they weren't fortunate enough to grow up with their mother and father, it might have been an auntie or an older brother or a cousin. Or and a I, teacher. Or it a teacher. people in their lives Definitely. for sure. Just Role models, and we've all got role models, whether we know it consciously or not. And just ask yourself, okay, how did this person affect my life? But was it, you know, was it, is it the actual truth about the way I interpreted it? Mm. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's a very valid point. Just to, just to kind of switch it up, um, and something I wanted to ask you, and it's a bit of an extreme question, but you know, you've got people that, you've got someone that may have been raped, you have someone that may have, you know, lost lost uh, their wife and children in a car accident or someone that may have been bankrupt and lost their business that has taken them 20 years to build on and a lot of your identity was, was, was associated with that. And they are just rock bottom, you know? How does, how does someone, you, you often hear stories of people that have experienced those types of experiences, yet they bounce back. Yeah. But you also hear about people that just go completely the other way. Mm. Um, how, do, how, do these, how do different people go to different paths based okay. on those experiences? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Of course, most of what we hear is about post-traumatic stress disorder. Yep. Things like this, you experience a serious trauma and it 
causes you a level of damage that reduces your well-being and you know, experience suffering ongoing. But what very few people are familiar with is post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. And this is something which is experienced by an equal number of people who have had extreme hardship and trauma. And this means at the time of the trauma, it was equally bad for them. Yep. It was equally miserable. But they actually come out the other end and look at it and go, as terrible as that was, I actually feel I've grown as a person as a huh. result of that experience. Yeah. And one of the ironies here is just being aware of the fact that you can experience post-traumatic growth yep. reduces the likelihood you'll get post-traumatic stress disorder. Huh. Because again, it's the way our brain works, right? If your only reference point is that people who go through trauma are permanently damaged with post-traumatic stress disorder, you worry about that happening to you and it makes it more likely that it's gonna happen to you. Hmm. One of the most useful things that the US Defense Force has done to reduce the likelihood of PTSD in active service troops is make them aware of post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. So that at the time, you know, they can actually activate a different part of your brain, which is more around the approach part of your brain rather than the avoidant part associated with PTSD. Mm -hmm. But also as well, one of the things I'd say is some people have some different natural tendencies in terms of how they view and perceive things, which lend themselves to coping and recovering more effectively from yep. challenging circumstances. But these are things that you can learn to cultivate deliberately. Mm -hmm. And there's three basic things. Mm -hmm. One of them that you associate with long-term problems and challenges is the feeling that your trauma and the unpleasant emotions you're experiencing are permanent. Yep. If you can be actively and deliberately reminding yourself, telling yourself that this isn't permanent, this is gonna change, yep. things will get better. That is crucial in terms of being able to recover and come out the other end effectively. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Interesting. Not seeing things as permanent. That's yeah. one of the challenges with serious yeah. depression is when you think it's permanent and yeah. therefore suicide is yeah. the best course of action yeah. to end your suffering. Which is also, sorry to interrupt, no, but when you're having great times, you think it's going to last forever. When you're having shit times, you think it's going to last forever. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's a very good point. So be aware that it's nothing's it's not forever. permanent. Yeah. This too shall pass, is yes. the old Persian proverb. Yes, I love that quote. You know, there was the richest man, the king of Persia, and he got his three wise men together and he said to them, I want you to go and create a ring for me that will make me feel happy when I'm sad. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they went out and they spoke about this. They explored these different jewelers and that, and he fully expected them to come back with some massive, you know, gold mm -hmm. diamond mm -hmm. crusted thing. Instead, they came back with a simple ring with the inscription in it, this too shall pass. Wow. Whenever you're feeling misery, this, this too, too shall, shall pass. pass. Yep. But the irony there is, of course, is the same as true when you're feeling your best and your happiness, you know? This too shall yes. pass. That's yes. the way your brain works. It's yes. a good thing to remind yourself. Yeah. Nothing's permanent. So that's the first thing. It's not permanent. Yeah. The second thing is that people who are more likely to really challenge or uh, find challenge when they're trying to recover from extreme situations are people who lose sight of the fact that there's anything going okay for them. Yep. So they see the issues as pervasive. It's like a drop of ink in a glass of water. Yep. The negative stuff in your life discolors everything else. Yeah. So if you can force yourself away from seeing things as pervasive by really deliberately trying to focus on and remind yourself of the things that are going okay with mm -hmm. your life, mm -hmm. That will help counter that. And there's always going to be something that's going okay. Of course, yeah. man. There's always something which is going okay. Yeah. There will always be something. You just need to really make sure that that's what you're searching for because, again, it's so easy with the way our minds work to just get sucked into that vortex of focusing and only noticing the negative. And then the third thing 
is to try and depersonalize what's happening to you. Yeah. Meaning? So what I mean is recognizing that this happens to other people too. Mm. It's not only you, yeah. and it's not because of you. Yeah. Because what happens is when people see things as permanent, pervasive, and personalized, so they think what's happening to them doesn't happen to other people, mm -hmm. this is just me having this experience, and it's happening because I'm not good enough, it's my fault, you are way more likely to suffer long-term negative outcomes wow. than if you can cultivate that mentality that this isn't permanent, it'll pass, things will get better, there are things that are going okay for me, this is terrible, but there are some good things, and look, this happens to other people, other people survive and get through this, it's not just happening to me, and it's not because of me, it's not hmm. my fault. Mm, interesting. And that's, that's how you cultivate so, a sense of... Sorry to interrupt, what if it is their fault? Well, then, you know, I, I suppose you can look at that and go, there are definitely situations where, you know, you need to be able to own your own behaviour. Yep. But when you're talking about things like rape, cancer, stuff like that, yeah, yeah. even sometimes when it comes to things like business failures and that yeah. sort of stuff, you know, you can be doing everything you can and circumstances outside of your control take yeah. hold. I would say in those circumstances, then it is 100% not your fault. In fact, one of the biggest causes of ongoing PTSD is uh, sexual abuse experiences. Mm -hmm. And one of the most common reasons that that is prolonged and carries on throughout people's lives is their sense of shame that it was in some way their fault. Mm. That they should have stopped it, they yeah. shouldn't have been wearing that short skirt, they yeah. shouldn't have smiled at that person, they shouldn't have attracted it. Yeah. So actually being able to recognise that, hey, you know, this isn't my fault, this yeah. isn't because I'm not good enough. And I think that's the key there perhaps. Mm. It's not that you're not accountable for your own decisions, but the cause is not some inherent unworthiness within you. Mm. Some I'm not good enough in some way. Yeah. It's nothing about you. You can feel guilt. This yeah. is, I suppose this is the importance. Yeah. You want to feel guilt when you make mistakes, not shame. Yeah, yeah. So guilt is the emotional experience you have when you feel you've done something huh. wrong that can motivate you to learn and do better going forward. Huh. Shame is the yeah. feeling you have when you think it's because you're unworthy and you're broken and you're irredeemable. Interesting. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. When you make a mistake, you want to know that this is guilt I'm feeling. Yeah. That's the motivation for change. It's yeah. not shame. It's not about who I am in some inherent yeah. way. So it's almost amazing how you can just, by simply changing the word, it changes the definition and the whole meaning of a situation. It can change your tra trajectory and the way you deal with it. Yeah. yeah. What was it you said before about, uh, you know, in terms oh, of your parenting, did you change the narrative you used? Yeah, I changed, cha changed the narrative and right. I changed my perspective and I, and I also just understood. I basically put myself in my father's shoes as opposed to seeing it from my perspective, which was somewhat selfish because there's always mm -hmm. two perspectives. And it gave me a whole new meaning, whole new outlook. Now I've got an amazing relationship with my father. Mm. And now I can ask him all the stuff which I wanted to ask him and I can get an even better, better answer because he's also got more time as well, yeah. you know? So it's, um, yeah. So that's the thing, right? You could have proceeded and carried on with that script, yeah. right? That script that you had sort of developed, that narrative that you'd written and been a part of growing yeah. up. But instead, you chose to adopt the empowered position and go, I can rewrite the story here. Yeah, yeah. I can rewrite the script. And I'll tell you this right now, no matter how bad the situation, no matter the mistakes you've made or the level of challenge you're experiencing, mm -hmm you can choose to rewrite the script. Mm. You can be the author of your own destiny yeah. based on how you choose to proceed and go forward yeah. right now. But the key thing there is it's the little steps, it's the little changes little habits. that make yeah. big differences because yeah. the goal is getting better, not being good. Definitely, definitely. And what about, what about a, are you okay with time? And yeah, how much time you got? 
I reckon we're okay with time for about another 10. Perfect, perfect, cool. yeah, perfect. What about addictions? People are addicted to alcohol, drugs, porn, addicted to you know just bad addictions mm. that are consuming their lives. Firstly, my question is, how do they develop? And secondly is, how do they break those habits? Okay, so I'll just clarify, I'm someone who's you know, had addiction issues myself yep. in my life. Which I think we all do. Trouble. Yep. Yeah, they yep. look differently for different people. Yeah. If you're lucky, maybe it's like uh, an exercise addiction. That's yep. probably one of the healthier ones you can <laughs> have, although <laughs> yep. derails some marriages and that. Yeah. But uh, look, I, I wanted to say that I have personal experience, but I wouldn't consider myself a deep expert in this area. Okay. But what I would say is underline any addiction and addictive tendency really is an inner pain. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hole that someone's trying to fill. It's a pain that someone's trying to deal with. Yeah. I mean, if you actually look at it, and a lot of people don't like discussing this. I mean, I'm I'm not someone who uses drugs whatsoever at any point in this yeah. my life. But actually, the majority of people who use and consume drugs do not have addiction problems. They're social users. Interesting. So what's the difference between someone who can use the same drugs but then carry on and go to work on Monday and be fine versus someone who derails their life through an addiction? Interesting. You know, a couple of key factors are, do you have a sense of purpose in your life? Mm. Do you actually have something? So that the you're functioning ones—they've got a job, they've got a family, they've got priorities. They've got so they function—they're a functioning addict. Right. Whereas, interesting. They've got purpose. Interesting. Okay, they've got purpose, and what they also have is life stability factors. Yeah. If you lack a sense of purpose and meaning, if you're just adrift, floating, mm -hmm. and don't feel that you've got some vehicle for your energy that gives you a sense of meaning and purpose, you're doing something that matters. And then you lack life stability fam, um, yeah. factors like, say, a job, yeah. a family, those sorts of things. That's when you're in the territory where addiction is far more likely to take hold and be problematic for you. Mm. Whereas that, going back to those sense of values, the sense of meaning, the sense of purpose, that really does provide an inoculating effect against yeah. some of those tendencies you might otherwise have. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And then what about, what about um, what's your view on like people that, you know, when you are just switching it up from addictions to say adversity, um, and people gravitate gravitate towards prayer or God or spirituality, mm. do you think that's also an important factor as well that people do need? I don't know if you're religious yourself, but do you feel that people do need to gravitate like they do need something like that, some acknowledgement of the spiritual world as well? Because I know for me personally, when I went through all my crap, and I was. I, I was bad, you know, I wanted to, I was like, if there's a pill out there, I will take it. Um, you know, I wanted to run from the hills. Uh, I just wanted to basically curl up and just mm. end it all. Mm. Um, for some reason, I started going to church again. And for some reason, that filled a huge gap in my life and it basically put me on a path to the man I am today. This was eight, 24 months ago. Mm. Um, so what's your, what's your point of view on that, coming, being a, being a psychologist? I, th I think it's, different things for different people. Yeah. And I think religion and spirituality provide a real deep sense of meaning and purpose for a lot of people that help them live better lives. I also think that one of the things that you get from formalized religious practice, such as going to church, is actually a deep sense of connection and identity with a community. Mm. And I think that is such a crucial inoculating factor against you know, the, the biggest challenges we'll have in life and addictions and the rest of it. Yeah. If you feel a genuine sense of belonging and community and shared identity with others outside of your immediate family, outside of your work colleagues, that is such a powerful thing because again, we've evolved to be members of a social species. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's natural that our brain makes us experience real emotional pain when we don't feel that sense of tribe, that sense of connection and belonging. Yeah. So being able to find that via a vehicle such as religion or church, worship, other such things is crucial. Mm. That's probably but why people join gangs even. 100% they get it that is. same meaning. 100% yeah. it is. You know, it gives you a sense of belonging, a sense of identity, a yes. sense of community. So I would say it can be incredibly valuable for people. What we know from the research is if you have a religious and a spiritual outlook, that will tend to provide an inoculating factor against stress and yep. challenge. It'll make it easier for you to cope. It's not the path for everyone. Yes. I'm personally, I'm an atheist. Yep. I don't have that outlook, mm -hmm. but I found a different vehicle for myself. Evolution actually was something that really wow. liberated me in terms of a concept because it made me realize that all of the stuff I was experiencing was normal. Mm. And also it made me realize that actually I was walking around all this time thinking that everything I did and everyone's judgments of me were so important when really I was way more insignificant than that. Hmm. And that wasn't a diminishing realization, that was a liberating one. Mm -hmm. It meant, oh, actually I can just start to not worry about other people's views and opinions and I can start to just do what's right and true for me. Mm. And that was the vehicle. Yeah. So it's different paths for different people. Yeah. Yeah. It really is, but I think yeah. you have something which gives you a greater sense of purpose yeah. and meaning. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. Um, just to kind of give us a bit of closure, I'm just going to ask you some questions as well. Um, what's a book or a couple of books you can recommend to our audience just to just to kind of, obviously you got your own book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I, so I was, tell, that's why I was smiling. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. well, obviously how so to tell, escape from prison. Yeah, firstly tell people <laughs> about your own book and then just also another few which you highly recommend that just basically yeah, cool. read and light bulbs went off for you as well that yeah, can help them out. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, my book recently published and is, uh, the, the best feedback I've been getting around it is people are reading it really quickly. Awesome. Because that's always a good sign, eh, yep. when people read Because I've got books on my nightstand that I like the subject matter of, but are abandoned yeah. because they're just, not just that too easy dense. to read. Well, yeah, 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 definitely. So no, it's, it's good in that respect. Uh, so tell people about the name of your book. How to Escape from Prison and where to is buy what it's it. called. You can get it from any bookshop in New Zealand. You can also get it on Kindle, so Audible. So internationally they can get it as yeah, well? Yeah, internationally yep. you get it from places like Great. Mighty Ape, you know, yep, that awesome. sort of thing. Uh, and that's, yeah, that should be readily available. How long did it take you to write that book? It was in the process for over 10 years. Wow. And was it Most of it was written when I was in prison. Wow. The prison memoir, but, and then it was tidied up and finished off yeah. over a process of about a year, I suppose. Wow. Yeah. And published in September, I think it was now. And uh, that was a real process. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> but you know, look, books that I've really enjoyed, I loved Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Oh yes, fantastic book. Okay, because yeah. it's a book which is about success, being about the effort you put in. Yeah. Right. It's about your willingness to actually put in the hard yards practice, because that's something we don't like to talk about in modern yes. society, because we want it all to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> and we look at people who succeed in big ways and we go, oh, well, they're just really talented and capable. Mm. We don't see all the hard work, yeah. all the sacrifices yeah. that's behind but Behind it. the scenes. Yeah. You know, and again, look, success, it's going to be more relevant for different people in different areas, but it's all going to require work. Yes. All going to require yeah. effort. And probably, would you would you agree the harder, I actually released an article about it yesterday, which I got from Jim Rohn, which is the harder you work on yourself, oh, you should be working harder on yourself than you do on your job, you know? And that's gonna basically make your job, meaning whatever your output is yeah. in life or whatever you do. Um, yeah. 
that exactly comes back to what I was saying before about working on habits rather than specific yes. goals. Yes, Because working yeah. on yourself is working on your habits. Yes, What I are agree. the habits you want to have which yeah. are productive and positive yeah. for you, which will enable you to be more successful yeah. in any area, anywhere you turn your hand, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you're, and when you're not doing them, your body by automatic is wanting mm. to do them. Mm. Yes, I agree. And again, remembering that idea, it takes on average yeah. three months, 90 days of consistent yeah. practice to build a new habit where it yeah. takes less energy, less motivation from you. You're more interested in doing it yep. naturally. So just focusing on that three months, that's the goal. What yeah. is it I want to start building yeah. into a habit it's for myself? It's not too difficult. Right? Yeah. No, it's not. And it's not about doing it well. Yeah. It's about just consistently doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So outliers, crucial in terms of understanding that success is about learning, failure, and experience. Yeah. It's not about someone just instantly being so much better than yeah. someone else. So that's a crucial book. I tell you what, another book I really loved that really impacted me, which is a less common book, it was published uh, quite a few decades ago now, was Or I'll Dress You in Morning, hmm. which is a biography about a bullfighter called El Cordobes, and wow. it's about his story. Interesting. Growing up as someone whose family was so poor that they used to boil grass to eat. Wow. Right? And his story, a hardship of going from nothing to being the most respected, successful bullfighter wow. in the world at the time. And the book title comes from his first professional fight where he said to his yeah. sister, Tomorrow I'll buy you a house or I'll dress you in mourning. Huh. In other words, I'm gonna massively succeed or be dead tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that was really inspiring in terms of turning adversity to your advantage, yeah. being able to overcome really challenging situations. Make your mess your message. <laughs> Make your mess your message. I told you, man, I'm yeah. so plagiarizing no, that. I love that. For yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And just to kind of, a bit of a closing question, what does your morning ritual look like? Do you do anything that you haven't, you know, obviously it varies when you have to do speaking gigs and tours and whatnot. Unfortunately, yeah. my morning ritual normally involves trying to sneak out of the house super early to catch an early flight yeah. to avoid waking the kids yeah, and my yeah. wife. Yeah. I have, to, because of my kids being so young, I really try and have more of a flexible daily approach where yeah. I, for example, run every day. Yeah. So you're running every day? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm training for a marathon at the moment. Oh, and that's fantastic. great. That's where goals become really handy in terms yeah. of forcing you to prioritize the yes. right things. Yeah. So rather than running the specific time, I'm making sure that I'm planning my week so that I know when I'll be doing things like the running. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I try to do on a daily basis is try to disconnect a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I'm not listening to podcasts or audio books yeah. or reading all the time that yeah. I actually have some thinking space. And how long do you do that for? Depends on the day. Yeah. But I'm very conscious and deliberate about it. Yeah. And another thing I'm conscious and deliberate about is trying to be present on a regular basis during my day. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have the habit of uh, mindfulness in terms of trying to focus their attention on the present. Yeah. What I try to do is I just regularly throughout my day try to make sure I'm focusing my attention on life as it's happening. Wow. What can I hear? What can I see? What can I smell? What yeah. can I feel in my body? Yeah. Just regularly tuning in. Yeah. So again, I have some sort of like overarching approaches that I'm using every day Absolutely. rather than the occurring at specific yeah. times. So when the kids are older, yeah. and it's easier to maintain Absolutely. a routine. Absolutely, I, I, I fully understand. That's yeah. why now I'm getting up at 5, 5.30, yeah. so I can actually try to win the day by applying my own morning rituals. Yeah, um, nice. And then what about any coffee, supplements, anything like that? What do you eat for breakfast? I, I, I definitely drink a lot more coffee than yeah. is helpful Because obviously your, the way your brain functions and 
obviously the requirements of which other people have from you to perform. Is there anything, any any little tricks or hacks or anything? Uh, marry a wife who's far healthier than you. Yeah, that's great my point. biggest yeah. trick. My wife, she's like similar to yours, but she she writes cookbooks about this yeah, stuff. So nice, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. I eat far healthier because I'm married to someone Definitely. who's healthy. Yeah. And when I'm not there, if you I find was yourself, left to my own devices, yeah, yeah. you're you sitting know. in the dark eating a hamburger. Yeah, but I think that's part of it as well. Is it recognizing you know that we all have our strengths and our challenges? Definitely. No one's nailing it. And we've all got our different area. jobs as well, responsibilities. 100%. Yeah. Nah. Well, that's uh, any closing words, any final words, so people know where to get the book, they know where to research you. Oh, I think you've given us, yeah. honestly, I just want to thank you. So, you know, I know that you have to go catch a flight, but just thanks you for carving out, you know, this little bit of time with us. I appreciate it. I know the audience will. It was a real pleasure to meet you. As I said, when I, met, when I saw you speak a few months ago, something went off in me and I'm like, okay, my goal is to get Dr. Paul Wood on the podcast. Yeah. And this is before we even had the podcast. So um, I appreciate that. I'm yeah. so stoked. There's a lot of value, value so in that. So stoked. Yeah. Really appreciate the opportunity awesome. to be here. Yeah. Awesome. That was wicked. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found any type of value, please subscribe to our podcast, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review on iTunes to be in the draw to win a $200 I Love Ugly gift voucher. We will be drawing a winner monthly. Good luck, and see you on the next episode.